Welcome back, listeners. On this episode, I spoke to composer and music editor David Klotz about his work on The Watcher. Klotz is an eight-time Emmy winner and 19-time Emmy nominee. He is also a seven-time MPSE winner and 24-time MPSE nominee. Klotz won his Emmys for American Horror Story, Game of Thrones, and Stranger Things. What's inspiring you right now? What's inspiring me right now? Um, that's a good question. Um, my gosh. Uh, you know, it, I, I, it's funny because I look for inspiration in so many outside of film and TV, outside of the music, uh, you know, and, and sort of like everyday, um, you know, parts of my life. Um, you know, I have a 13 year old and I'm sort of watching him, um, you know, he's sort of figuring out what he wants to do in life and that and, and and his excitement about what he's learning about music and and his tastes and things. And to me, that's kind of lately, I think, been the most um, you know, most inspiring thing for me because I, I just started being able to focus. He's he's sort of reached an age age where he's uh, kind of becoming his having his own um his own taste, his own point of view on life. And it's sort of, and, and I'm sort of seeing things kind of a second time the way he sees things. And to me, that's like pretty cool. Uh, you know, whether it's like a, a song like he loves that I'm like, oh yeah, I never thought, you know, I never thought that was a good track or, <laughs> or, or it's just, you know, it, it's interesting that parenting is chapter by chapter in, in, in life. It becomes, you know, it's very different each, each one. Mm-hmm. It's an yeah. exciting one right now. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say I'm a parent. I'm a parent to a dog, um, yeah. but that's not <laughs> obviously yeah, that very too. different. That counts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, unfortunately, he has no interest in music or he has some <laughs> interest in TV. But um, other than that, he's kind of he's kind of a loner in that um, yeah. in that aspect. Um, but I wanted to ask you how you First, we're connected with Ryan Murphy, who's been such a huge part of the last almost two decades of your life, yeah. um, and um, and just the Ryan Mur- Murphy cinematic universe. Yeah, um, I, I was fortunate enough where I, I it was um, I uh, connected with a composer um, named named James Levine, who who worked on Glee. And um, he, we had sort of, sort of known each other peripherally from some of the other projects um, I'd worked on at the time. Um, I was on working on Game of Thrones, and and I think you know James knew the uh, composer on that show, and and so he kind of reached out to me and said, "Hey, I'm doing this new show with Ryan Murphy, and 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 it's it sounded great. I I, I read the pilot. Um, musicals were completely like up my alley. Like I I, I love musicals and." Um, so I went. I went. I had a meeting. I met. Um, I met Ryan and Alexis Woodall, who who I work with mostly. She's um she works under Ryan. She's like um, kind of like a president of RMTV right now, and um, our uh, you know executive. She's kind of essentially our showrunner for most of the shows. Um. So I you know I I, I started on, on Glee, and and it was such a great experience with um wonderful people. I feel like a lot of the stuff. A lot of the shows that Ryan that he writes and makes, I think, are like kind of almost like really more kind of they feel important and and um, 
and he has such a great point of point of view on um you know wanting to sort of change the world in a way from from his storytelling and so i've always just like everything he's done um it's just been a pleasure to be a part of and and uh, it's worked out you know they, they like me and keep having me back so yeah um <laughs> and to dive into some of those projects just a bit more um i thought i would break it out into i think i have four different categories and just cool. i want to get sort of your sense in terms of like how you approach each of these different genres in terms of a music editing perspective, because I find it fascinating. Um, and the first one, obviously, musicals with The Prom um, and then Glee. What do you sort of take away from those experiences and what how, how does your mind sort of envelop these ideas for um, for executing on these projects? Yeah, uh, well, m musicals are are a, a challenge into itself because you're you're constantly dealing with um, um, synchronization of of the actors singing on camera. Um, so the sort of the biggest, most important part is making sure they look like they're really singing. Um, most of the time, on probably you know ninety percent of musicals filmed, they uh, we record the songs in a studio ahead of time. And then um, the songs are played back on the set and then the actors are lip syncing to those songs. That's generally how it's mostly done on musicals and has always been done that way. There are some exceptions, um, but that's how we did it on Glee and, and the prom. And, um, and it, it, you know, part of the real challenge is just sometimes the performances are, are so good, but maybe the lip syncing is slightly off. So we have to find a way to, in post-production to, you know, be chopping up the, you know, moving the words slightly just to make sure it, like it looks like it fits in the mouth. And, and you know, the, that's the biggest, I think, challenge with musicals. And also you're sort of limited to, you know, if you want to cut down a song or make it longer or shorter, you you really have to, I got to be working kind of uh, almost on a day-by-day -day basis with the picture editors because um, they'll say like, we got to cut this song down. And so we have to find a way to, make it shorter um and so that it still you know can play but but it has to sort of match what's what's happening on the screen and so mm -hmm. that's a, that's a very intensive process um whereas if it was just a show with just a piece of score you know then you have a lot more um freedom to kind of you know do what you want and, and make it work so that's so that's that, that that's music editing for for musicals mm -hmm. really enough and then oh sorry that was, that was just saying that's in a nutshell that's that's what that ah, is <laughs> yeah and then what about horror and specifically shows like ratchet screen screen queens and american horror story well those are fun to do and, and ryan really does a great job with with horror i remember seeing the first um you know uh, the pilot of american horror story and 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 knowing that oh this is going to become this is going to become something big um he's he's fantastic at horror and um the composers that i've worked with on the shows over the years you know horror needs a specific type of uh, of language you know like even even when the kind of the genres change in american horror story where there's like the you know there's the hs 1984 which kind of was set in the 80s and then you know different sort of different worlds um the score, the score has always changed to reflect those worlds, but they always still have to land the same. Um, they still have to, you know, land the same narrative uh, moments that horror music needs. You have to have the the 
the atmosphere and the tension and the big scares and a lot of that especially with music editing a lot of that is, is um, can be designed in finding places to thin out the score or take it out um you know judiciously so that you know it lands the terrifying moments um at the right time and really makes the show more effective that way mm -hmm. and then a world i'm not as familiar with but i enjoy um being fantasy and sci-fi you've been a part of probably two of the largest um sci-fi fantasy shows ever being stranger things and game of thrones so in terms of creating these worlds that are just so um not open to interpretation that's not the word i'm wanting to use but open to um open to mold and open to sort of change um i'm just curious how i mean with those two projects in particular how you how you get into that because it's just with other things like you said they're set in these time periods that you can pick up on and stranger things is and game of thrones is set in in definitive time periods but you're creating a world that none of us have ever seen or explored or um so i'm just curious how you tackle those yeah it, it, it's interesting because um stranger things and game of thrones couldn't be more different um not only in in the sort of um uh worlds that they're set in and the characters that are in and, and the stories that they're telling but also just even the way that uh, we approached um scoring them you know with the filmmakers and the composers um it's interesting because like game of thrones was um uh our, you know ramin uh our composer um you know he we sat down and had our first spotting session like 10 years ago now and, and i remember you know they had a pretty good idea they wanted it to be orchestral but um but they didn't want it to they were they, they definitely wanted to pull away from like anything that sounded like um um renaissance fair you know like there, there was a rule like no flutes uh were, were allowed in the in the score so there was a kind of like they had a, a definite sound in mind and and it sort of started and sort of grew um um you know ramin composed all these incredible themes that he had a, a um a fortunate you know with 10 eight series you know eight seasons he, he was able to sort of develop those over the course of the season Theme, themes that he wrote on like season one or still in, in season eight um and but they've sort of evolved and become bigger and sort of had sort of counter melodies to, to you know reflecting the changes that the characters had and and a lot of that was very very much thought out um with our composers and our, our our executive producers David Benioff and Dan Weiss and Carol, Carolyn Strauss too, they all had very good specific. Um, they knew what they wanted with the score, and I think that really made a difference with with Game of Thrones. Um, it, but interestingly enough, like you know, we always felt on Game of Thrones that like um, using uh, a piano wasn't wasn't really the right kind of sound for what we were seeing on the screen. It felt too contemporary and modern and. Um, but even by the end of that season, um, we got to a point where we tried a piano cue and it worked and became one of like the most um, prominent cues from Game of Thrones. It's called Light of the Seven. Um, it's one of the most beautiful pieces I think Ramin wrote for the series. So sometimes you got to throw the rules out the window and just go for it. Now, Stranger Things, completely opposite. Uh, the Duffer Brothers discovered this band from Austin, Texas um, called Survive. And met met the guys from the band Kyle Dixon and Michael Stein, who had never composed um, a television show before. 
And um, so they were sort of coming in very fresh um, and the Duffer brothers loved their, they had this sort of eighties synthesizer sound and they were, you know, using um, real hardware synths. Um, and, you know, at first there was, there was some scoring to picture, but sometimes there wasn't, it was a very different process where sometimes they would write these big pieces of music and then, you know, we would have to sort of shape them to the scenes and stuff like that. And so it, it was kind of like a, a completely different approach than like what we do with Game of Thrones, where we're, Ravine's writing, he knows where to start, stop and end. And that's sort of decided early on and sort of um, uh, Stranger Things kind of was a, a more organic, we sort of grew into figuring out how it was going to work. They wrote a bunch of stuff, then they, they would bring a, a library of music that we would sort of chop up and 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 make work. Uh, but it always had that evocative like 80s synth pop kind of sound, but they also found ways of wrenching out really cool dark um, sounds out of those synths that I, you know, I feel like hadn't been done before the way they did it. So it was sort mm -hmm. of a very inspiring way and it sort of helped to make, create the sound of Stranger Things, which I think is like the biggest identity of the show. Absolutely. I mean, I and with both of those shows, I mean, it, it is kind of how iconic those sort of first intros into those worlds are and how they're probably going to be um, implanted in the brains of this sort of <laughs> this generation that's been able to watch it live. Does that does that ever sort of come across your head at all to, to or your mind just to I don't know the the work that you're doing is something that I mean is so iconic in terms of like you said like without these sort of certain themes like you aren't or you aren't always you won't identify the show but these are true identifiers with these shows and um, yeah. does that ever cross your cross your mind yeah all the time and it and it's it's fascinating to have been on each of those shows from the very beginning because you don't see like i i was after we finished season one of stranger things i thought oh that was a great show no one's gonna watch it and these guys did an awesome job with the score and I, and I was really raving about it but i just you know it didn't occur to me that it was going to become like what it did um and it's just it's just fascinating to see to see that and 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 to not have any sort of idea same with um to be honest game of thrones too i i remember when ramin had called me um the composer to to work on the show with him he said hey i'm doing this new show it's called game of thrones and can you come can you it's like they had fired a composer that didn't work out so he was it was a rush job to finish the first episode and he called and said hey can you we start tomorrow the producers are coming in we need to have a spotting session and watch the show with them and and I was like, ah, oh, Game of Thrones, what's that? And I, I Google searched it and I read like a little bit about it. And I thought, oh, what's this Dungeons and Dragons crap? I'm not, I'm not sure this is for me. But I, I said yes. And thankfully, and I went over and, and met. And after watching, I think we, you know, it was after the first or second episode. I just, uh, I just like turned to me and I'm like, wow, oh, these guys are really good writers, you know? And <laughs> yeah, I'm like, it's, I, it, it was one of the, I just had not seen where, how big that was going to become too. And, and you, mm -hmm. you never know, um, you know, mm -hmm. I work on stuff I think is really good and it's going to be huge. And then no one, ever, and then it flops and then vice versa. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's strange to uh, to hear from you that those two shows were ones you thought would um, not tank, but would not get the reception that. Uh, the yeah, 
you never know. It's interesting. Um, and then finally, before diving into the watcher, um, I'm fascinated by period just for a lot of reasons. One, it's probably just my favorite. Um, but shows like Feud, Hollywood, Pose, and American Crime Story, um, Pose in particular. Um, I'm just curious where you're, how you even sort of go into, I mean, we started at this point of like BC, BC, and now we're all the way up to like 2021 with your shows or 2022 with your shows. So like how, how is it taking these period pieces and bringing them alive to that current era and keeping it true to that current era? Um, yeah, that, you know, that, interesting. That's a good question. I, um, I think every show has to be approached, um, individually on its own merit, like, um, you know, Pose set in, um, late eighties, early nineties, New York, you know, that's sort of informed what the score should be. Certainly that, that informed, um, the kind of songs we were using, um, which we used a lot of songs in Pose, which I think helped really, really brought the error of the time period alive. And, um, and I think Ryan and Alexis are, have really great taste in music. And I think that helps. Um, and they, you know, Ryan, like, will know the song he wants to to use even before kind of shooting or, or, or cutting a scene. Um, and that really, uh, it just it sort of makes a difference as far as like, they can see, they help visualize the, what the time period and, and look is going to be like. And, um, and in the case of uh, like Ratchet as another one, they really um, they really wanted kind of a Bernard Herrmann esque um, score to reflect the the time period, which was sort of sort of like almost a Hitchcockian um, setting, you know, Northern California in the '30s, and and um, you know all that's by design, and I think it really helps. Um, it re it just really helps pull together not only the telling the narrative of the story but just just enveloping you in 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 the time period in the world um so we really everyone um from ryan alexis down they really know how music is important to that part of it part of the part of the deal mm -hmm. um and you brought something up to me very quickly in terms of the music um has there ever been a song that's been cut because of maybe rights or um not fitting that you think would have enhanced um a particular show i mean you've you have hundreds of credits but is there any anyone that sticks out in particular mm. um there have been many over the years that 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 we've tried um i'm trying to think one one of them was really great it was um alexis had this brilliant idea of using um a madonna song in pose um it was uh, what was the one? It was the song. It was the song from the Sean Penn movie. Do you remember that one? Um, uh, it, yeah, I, it's tell me that I don't know, but but no, I know which one you're talking about. Not crazy for you was sort of the single that came out after that. Um, anyway, um, and we had cut it to the scene, and I don't know if it was a rights issue or it just didn't fit well. But it, but it sometimes it's so sad when you spend so much time trying, you know, making something work so beautifully. And then um, for whatever reason, the scene gets cut too short that a song doesn't make sense or or we can't clear the song and and then they it falls out. And yeah, and there and there have been cases that we've not been able to clear stuff either. Um, but yeah, that the Madonna one, um, 
um, stuck with me because I really loved how it's such a great song and I loved how, how we had it playing in the scene and pose. Mm-hmm. And then, so moving into The Watcher, which has been another sort of Ryan Murphy's not sleeper success by any stretch of the imagination because it became a success pretty much week one. Um, how were you approached for that one? Is it just Ryan calling you and saying, hey, are you free? Or like, how does how does the kickoff conversation for these start? Well, generally, I, I'm, I'm working, um, I you know, on most... Um, Ryan Murphy shows as a music editor and then um, it's sort of um, I had a conversation with um, with our executive producer Alexis about um, composing the music for, for Watcher but she she came to me and she, she suggested I'd love for you to do it but I'd love for you to do it with um, to co-compose with Morgan Kibbe and Morgan and I we, we both um, had scored an episode of um, American Horror Stories a year ago so we each worked with Alexis um, you know, in that capacity before. And, and she was sort of like her, she sort of had this inspired idea um, that why don't you guys come together and work together and, and, and write, work on the score together. And my first thought was like, oh gosh, I, you know, I, I would love to do that, but I'm like, I'm not sure Morgan's going to want to be interested in that. Um, but thankfully it turns out she was excited about it. And we had a, we met and had come up with some ideas and, and, um, it was a, it was a, yeah, it was a good fruitful um, collaboration. We, I think the first song in the first episode, the first cue in the first episode that comes up in the first scene was something we wrote, like the, was like one of the first things we wrote as a demo. Um, and we, we played it to our producer, Alexis, and, and she was, she was into it. And, and we'd started writing uh, a lot of, it was very synthy. It was very like electronic kind of based synth score with processed sort of vocals and airy kind of um, uh, vocal, you know, vocal elements. And then um, as the show came together, we started feeling like it was maybe too um, electronic. And then then we started, Alexis was helping us sort of shape, she's really good at music and her and Ryan have always had great musical ideas and, and they had thought like, oh, this should have should sort of veer into having strings and harpsichord and horns and drums and and they were right about that so we we started we kind of reworked everything and that sort of became the sound of of the score for the show mm-hmm. and so what do you make of its success so far do you i mean once again was this one of those ones that you just thought was going to be a watched by no one or I mean it's kind of of boring to keep saying that right if if I you know but I I was um yeah I was surprised I I, I'm like I'm you know I always am I I guess I'm you know um I guess you're never disappointed if you don't you know if you if you have low expectations for everything (laughs) but you know I it's not true I mean working on it it um there's a great cast the the acting is good and um the scripts were fun and I felt like it had sort of a fun kind of whodunit knives out um, caper quality to it. And it was, it was sort of, um, it was quirky and weird and, and fun and had moments that were shocking and scary and, and moments that were hilarious. And, you know, Jennifer Coolidge, I think, I mean, I was laughing out loud working on the show, watching her, the scenes with her. Um, mm. so I, I knew it was going to, I felt like it was, it was definitely going to like, reach a lot of people. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that it, you know, people watched it. Mm-hmm. 
for sure. And were there any other challenges on this? I mean, besides the elephant in the room of composing it, but were there any other challenges that you had to face on this one that um, that have been different than the past project? Um, only in the sense that I was, um, you know, Morgan and I were the composers, but I was also the music editor. So at the point where, you know, composers can be like, okay, I'm on to the next thing. It's in the hands of the music editor. Um, that was challenging in a way because uh, I would get notes and revisions and sometimes it would just be easier to just put on the composer hat and keep keep writing, keep rewriting cues that, than to try and edit them. And I think sometimes I would sort of box, box myself into situations where, um, um, you know, I, I, you know, we we would need some. I'd have to find a cue. Usually, I would, as a music editor, I'd find a cue and I I would just cut it in and make it work. But now I I have um, I have this license to well, I can cut this in, but then I can go and add another string part on top of it or something else. And and um, sort of it got sort of crazy after a while because I just couldn't stop doing that and, and that would take longer um and i don't know I, I i learned a lot about the process and and maybe it's not always best if you're your own music editor when you're a composer mm. yeah that i that is hard to i don't know i would i would prefer to put it away after the project is wrapped and just be like okay i don't want to I don't want to touch my own work. That that would be tinkering with it the whole way, every you know, up to the very last minute. They're like, "Can you yeah. move this thing here?" I'm like, "I can." Not only can I move it, I can actually add this thing here and this horn head here and another <laughs> drum fill. And like, yes, and you know, it's uh, you know, you know, and I needed to stop and just and just be like, "It's okay that we don't. Have, it's not 100 perfect. You could just just can be edited and tweaked, and that's all we need." Mm -hmm. And then final question for you, just in our final few minutes, what's next for you that you can tease out? Well, they, uh, I, the, they just started shooting um, season two of Feud, um, uh -huh. which is about um, Truman Capote. And I will be music editing that show. I believe I don't have a deal in place, but I don't, um, I, I mean, I'm assuming I'll be the music editor. Um, hope that's right, everybody out there. Um, but, <laughs> But that's coming around uh, around the bend uh, for me, and I'm really excited. I, I know uh, like Gus Van Sant is directing the episodes, and um, I know they're looking. I don't, I'm not sure who's composing yet, uh, but I know they're looking at some pretty cool A-list um, composers for it. So that'll be exciting. Um, also working on um, um, David Benioff and Dan Weiss's um, new show. They they are the cre creators of Game of Thrones. Um, they're doing a show for Netflix called Three Body Problem, which is a uh, adaptation of a of a very well critically uh, loved science fiction novel from China, and it's um it's brilliant. It's a great it's an incredible story, and and they've done a really great job um, adapting it. And I think that that one I'm I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's going to be a big show. So mm. hopefully I'm not jinxing it. My <laughs> yeah, for sure. It looks uh. it's, it looks amazing. It's really cool. Thank you all for listening. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jackson Vickery. Graphics were done by Dylan Michael. And the opening and closing theme were done by Sterling Gavinsky.